Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LPN Show. Recorded both in Los Angeles and New York City. We're just, you know, here to hang out. Have a good time. All right. Talk to y'all after a while. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. Thanks so much for listening to the LPN Show and supporting everything we do here on this network. Today, I am honored to have with me a stand-up comedian, an actress, a performer extraordinaire, and dare I say, a friend of mine. And what a joy it is to be friends with this fantastic woman, Joyelle Johnson. Thank you, Joyelle, so much for being on the show. Thank you, Ben Kissel, for having me. Miss you. Miss you much. I know I miss you, too. I can't wait for you to come out to Los Angeles. We're going to hang out. I got a pool. It's very cold right now because it's way too expensive to heat. But when the summer happens, I hear the sun does its job, and I am swimming my whale body in that pool, and I will take my shirt off. There you go. I I mean, did you used to swim with shirts on? I'm a shirt on swimmer. I'm sorry. I know it's really pathetic. I have fat boy body. It's uh, sad. And I know when you put the shirt on, when you go swimming, then you have to unstick it from your body. It makes a noise and everyone sees the outline of your titty anyway. I know it's totally counterproductive, but I literally wear the shirt even when swimming alone sometimes. You know what's my equivalent of that? I have what? a skin condition called dermatillomania where I scratch Ooh. myself. Oh, my God. Talk dirty to me. Oh, yes, baby. Oh, OCD. <laughs> um, yes, I have scars all over my body. So in the summertime, like you will not see me in shorts. You will not see me in like short skirts or anything like that. Cool. And I have a swimsuit that is a long sleeve swimsuit shirt. That is awesome, though, because I feel like it's like all the scars and stuff. It's like a, like you're Carrie, like you have a secret power that nobody knows about. And you're like, yes, scarred and strong. Yes, they tell a story. I will take it like that. Yes. <laughs> I love that. So how has everything been going? I know you have a comedy album coming out. Uh, it's going to be called Yell Joy, which is a play hey, on your I name. I love the Joy way you Yell. said that. That is exactly the way I want people to say it. Yes, that company album's coming out on Juneteenth. Woo! Can't wait for that. How has that process been like making a comedy album when no one's allowed to you see it? Oh my gosh. So here's the thing I, it's from Before Times recordings. Oh, fantastic. Yes, I had already recorded these at the Comedy Cellar, and I literally, the the way it came to fruition was my computer was like, you got too much stuff. Like, you got to delete some stuff. So I was looking at what I needed to delete, and I was like, oh, these old cellar sets. So do you know Ramon Rivas? Of course. Fantastic Ramon Rivas, the DIY master. (laughs) Um, He was like, you need to get those sets and cut them up and, like, send them to Sirius so you can get some spins. And I told, yeah, I told my manager and she was like, no, we need to turn that into an album. So we contacted Blonde Medicine and they were like, what? You got something from the before times that we don't have to set up and record (laughs) and like we don't have to produce this. Are you kidding me? So they jumped right on it and we are in the midst of, you know, finalizing the recordings and everything. I just I feel so fancy. I'm going to have cover art and everything. So, yeah, that's coming out. 
That is awesome. I know the last time I saw you, we were were traversing the world together. We met up in London because uh, we were doing, I was doing the last podcast on the left tour. We were doing our little European tour, which is basically just drinking in different places that have different accents. And (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I looked on social media. I was like, Joelle is hanging out in London the same night that I am. So we went up. I met you at the venue that you were at, first of all, I would be remiss if I did not mention you fucking crushed it. 10 minutes. It was like short sets. Everyone was doing 10 to 15 minutes. But that crowd, it was phenomenal. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That's Joelle Jensen. I know what she can do. Because every comedian before and after is like, oh, they're doing their stuff. But then Joelle comes, brings a different energy. And the audience freaking loved it. And then, how was that experience, actually? How was the experience doing comedy? I know stand-up, it's like, it's an English-speaking country there in England, I've heard. But it's different. It's totally different. And what I did realize is that the London audiences are smarter. It's what everyone says. A, they're smarter, but B, they also care about world politics. So I was able to do American politics in London because they were just like, yeah, and you know, Trump was still in office and they're like, yeah, fuck Trump. We hate him too. (laughs) All this stuff. I was like, fuck Boris Johnson, fuck everybody. And they were like, yeah. So that was uh, amazing. And I had two great sets in London, and that was my birthday. I know it was. I know. That's the thing with people of London. Politics went through a very bad hair day. That's how I'll categorize Trump and Boris Johnson's mutual rise. It was just a bad hair day for global politics. But that was your birthday. We were there, and we said, what are we going to do? And so naturally, we get into one of these taxis that actually know where they're going. Because in London, this is the other only difference. Like, I'm like, their McDonald's is different than us. But really, they're taxi drivers. They like go to school for four years and they will pinpoint you on a street corner that will, in the middle of nowhere, they're like, I know that one. This is exactly where you want to be. So we went downtown London and we had the best time. We went to a bit of a jiggle joint one night or what for a moment. We went to a casino. It was so fun. Oh, yes. I mean, yes, the Jiggle Joint was awesome. I am a strip club I don't, I don't fan. know if they still call them Jiggle Joints, but I want to bring it back. I've never heard Jiggle Joint before, but I'm a big fan of Jiggle Joints. I'm in Atlanta right now. Oh. Uh, Atlanta is famous for Jiggle Joints. Uh, <laughs> Magic know. City. If you've never <laughs> been to a black Jiggle Joint, you should go in your life. Um <laughs> They're actually still open right now, which is kind of scary, but Oh my goodness. That's the only thing that I, like, no, that's not not the only thing, but it is one of the things where it's like, when it comes to the clubs, when it comes to strip clubs, I'm like, fine. It's a pandemic. (laughs) I won't go to the strip club. I guess, but. That was like, I'm like, I'm suffering. I'm making compromises too, okay? Exactly. And I'm one of those women that loves a strip club because, and I think I told about my scars, I'm I'm always covered and I'm always nervous about my body. So to see a woman who is confident in her body, especially confident naked, like the horror to be confident naked is so inspirational to me. I absolutely love it. And my favorite moment was that it seemed like there was like a Brazilian girl and then a British girl that we got to dance, that you got to dance for us. And when they switched and the the Brazilian girl went to you, I was staring at the Brazilian girl like, I don't care about this British bitch. (laughs) I don't care about this milk toast. Uh, oh my goodness, That is ridiculous. You're a bad crowd member. You're a I, bad. You're trying to heckle. 
Oh you heckled God. with your eyes. Oh, my whole face. I gave her the whole American <laughs> black girl. If you don't get out of my face, girl, I know he paid you, but I'm over here. Like she got a bo- she got a booty, titties, some melanin. You are you are you are ridiculous. I am very yeah. thankful just to be around such beautiful women. Uh so I will I do not judge. I sit. I sit and I and I do nothing. I be um, judging. I know, but that was such a oh my god, that was such a fun night. And then we went back night. to the Soho house and uh, we just you, I chilled mean, you out. You know the how bar. to show a girl a good time. You, well, you really I didn't. I hate the Soho house stuff. For those that don't know, the Soho house it's like exclusive, which means it's annoying. It's quiet. They don't even allow you. My manager Ken, he got kicked out of the main bar for looking at his iPad because apparently they're like you can't have any iPads around because you never know when some celebrity trying to be a pedophile is going to show up and they don't want right. it to be documented. I don't know. I mean, all I know Prince is Andrew could walk in at any time. So. Exactly. <laughs> I don't trust anything that's air quotes exclusive. I trust nothing that doesn't have a fob. I don't like the hotels that have the key because then I'm stressed out the whole time. I'm going to lose it because I always lose, lose everything. And then how do I get back into my freaking room? And now I have to talk to this snobby prick who doesn't think I deserve to be there. Anyway, we were extremely loud in the Soho House bar. <laughs> and uh, the nice thing is, I am six foot seven. Joelle is a strong woman. They were too scared to tell us to be quiet. And I yeah. love that power. I mean, I'm almost six feet tall and black and loud <laughs> and deep voiced. So they, you know, they're looking at me like, I'm not even sure what's going on here. How are these two together? Like, how did, what friendship is this? We, I like that we were confusing people left and fucking right. That was a that was a good time. <laughs> getting hammered off of drinks that were far too expensive that have a, something about getting hammered off of a drink that has an orange squeeze in it. You know, yeah, it's just as trashy as getting hammered at the dive bar down the street. But there's something about it with the citrus flavor where you're like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm also I'm fancy. Yeah, I'm fancy, and also when they got them huge blocks of ice, exactly. so you're basically like, oh, this is half the alcohol. If you don't get this artisanal ice the fuck out of here. <laughs> By the way, my friend Katie, I learned something about a restaurant ice. Evidently, you're not supposed to get it. Apparently, it's the nastiest thing in all of restaurants is the ice. I did not know that. I'm a fan of cold drinks, but apparently, like the British, who enjoy a good warm beverage, I guess we're supposed to go that road because evidently ice yeah. is just full of, I don't even know what. Oh, some yeah. Kind of also like, garnishes, garnishes in general. You shouldn't, like if you want to, if you can pass on an orange squeeze or a lemon or a lime, you should. Cause uh, no, that's not, I was a, wet, a restaurant worker for six years. Oh my so I God. know, I know the dirty, disgusting secrets. How nice is it, Joyelle? Because I was a bouncer at Cabin Bar for two years and on, on Fourth. Oh, what was that? Cabin. S- I know. Second. Second Avenue between Fourth and Fifth. Cabin Bar for those that didn't uh, come up in the New York City comedy scene at the exact moment Joyelle and I did. Um, <laughs> Cabin Bar was a, uh, I think it's safe to say, dive that had a relatively nice back room. And uh, when I say dive, they had a wheel that you could spin if you wanted to get like a cheaper shot. Um, the bartender, Michelle, was constantly trying to huckster you into more expensive drinks. She would do this thing, Joyelle, that drove me insane. When I was bouncing, she would do this thing. She'd be like, hey, honey, do you want a shot? Trying to like, you know, do all the sweet charm. And then they'd be like, yeah, of course. 
And then she would charge them for the shot that she took. So their bills would be like $150 because it's still Manhattan prices. And now I have these drunk, out-of-town Texans with righteous indignation being like, the bill is too high. I'm a bouncer trying to be like, what the... Can we just not do this right now? Because I'm also trying to get in the back room where the comedy show is. But right. I have to deal with all of this. <laughs> I'm about to go on stage. Oh Could my you please? God. That's hilarious. Yeah, she that was, a that was psycho. definitely a definitely a dive bar. I remember hooking up with a dude I met on OK Cupid in the Oh back. my God. Like, I haven't even heard the term OK Cupid in yeah. forever. That's how long ago we was at motherfucking Cabin. Did you <laughs> okay set Cupid. the date? You hooked up with him in the room, in the showroom at Cabin? No, remember that back corner it was like behind the yes. showroom well yeah. but it was still the main room that was near the bar no. then so the second no, bar it, there was a, there was oh a, you're was talking whole... about the pool the, the with the billiards table yeah with the pool table that nonetheless little, there was a little jo- cove back there yeah you see you said you'd never get naked but now you're gonna go and have sex with somebody. No sex. No. You're sex. gonna go and hook up with someone, kiss. even look romantically at somebody in that semen-infested, crap-filled, mildew, The rats had a full castle to run in. That was where romance struck. Romance struck that night. It did. It did. Um, he had a lazy eye too. It was a lot going on in that situation. Well, I hope. I hope his other eye had a job. Oh my god, his, I'm on fire today. His dick had a job. It was. Oh great. my goodness. Well, I'm sure that his penis did have a job, and what a job it is to do, Miss Joyelle Johnson. Fantastic. There you go. <laughs> that, but that is the craziest thing because. Starting from, you know, that cabin bar show, showroom, which really was a big deal for us back then, too. Oh, you know? yes. Where oh, it, yes. If you got to get on cabin, you were like, all right, I'm 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 doing it because other people on the bill, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember we hosted a show at Piano Bar in uh, in uh, what was that? Alphabet City or something like that. Lower East Side. And on that show, we had like Kumail Nanjiani, Sean Patton, um, you know, like Pete Holmes, like all of these fantastic people that really went on to do some wonderful things. And that was just an average lineup, you know, at Cabin. So it was a cool show to get on just to be around the people that had, you know, really already exceeded or will be at the very least succeeding in the near future. Yeah, because I think my whole thing was like, especially before, you know, getting booked at the cellar and being able to do yeah. uh, weekend shows, it was like Sunday to Thursday. So Sunday was Knitting Factory. Yeah. Uh, Monday was um, what, what was Che's show with uh, Nimesh. That's right. Uh, you know, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday was Cabin. And that's, it was like that Sunday to Monday. I mean, Sunday to Thursday was the comedy week. It was a fantastic, I'm going to call it a rock block. It was a rock yes. block of week. Uh, we bonded many, many nights at the Knitting Factory. Of matchless, course. matchless on Monday, broken comedy, yes. Bar matchless, broken comedy, Michael Chase show, uh, along with Namesh Patel, who's just fantastic. Um, you have to check check out everything that they're doing, because I'm sure you've seen Che, he's on Saturday Night Live, but Namesh, fantastic. But Knitting Factory, that show, it was started by Hannibal, uh, Hannibal yes. Burris, of course. I'm sure people know who he is. Fantastic. Just unbelievably funny. I think it's safe to say that was the hottest show in New York mm, for a yes. good time. When Hannibal, I mean, Hannibal had that place packed out. 
and he would host it before he got uh, too busy and was forced to travel so much. And then he was so gracious where I got to host it with Kevin. I think Kevin yes. was asked to host and Kevin was nice enough to be like, can you host it with me? I was like, yes, thank you, Kevin. <laughs> That's the thing. He would always leave it to a black person. So it was like me, yep. C.N. Smith, Kevin, um, who else would come there? It was always like, there were like a good five of us that he would leave it to. And me and Kevin did it a lot. So that's hilarious that you say that. Yeah, it was extremely nice. What was that? So you started or we started, but obviously you went on to excel at stand-up comedy from, uh, from Matchless to Knitting Factory and then get into the cellar. You don't just walk into the cellar and get on that stage. That is yeah. like, there are so many invisible walls that people don't fully understand from like being an audience member to getting on that stage. You're like, it's six inches away. It's like, no, it's a couple hundred feet, a couple hundred miles away. Miles. How, yeah. how was that? <laughs> yeah. How was that process getting at the cellar? Cause I know they are tough. I mean, my, 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 one of my best pieces of advice when I first started stand up was hanging out is as important as getting up. And I would hang out because I started in Los Angeles and, you know, L.A. is mostly about networking. It's less about talent, I would say, especially 15 years ago when I started. It was like all about networking. And when I took that to New York and realized that I need to show my face, you know, if you're not if you don't have a show, show up. And so I would I was sitting at the cellar for, I would say, years. I would go for years just to watch just to hang out. And the thing is about the cellar is you can hang out there and not look ridiculous because they had food. So it's like you hang out at the olive tree, order dinner. But did people know that you were a comedian? Yeah. When you were hanging out there. So they they knew, so they were like, they digested like, okay, she's a comedian. She's not on the show right now, but they knew that you were a comedian. So that, that helps. They weren't just like, this woman loves comedy and apparently also our hummus. Yeah, but it was it was the fried chicken wings and the hummus and mm, the French I, on fries. A, the the uh, yeah that cafe above Comedy Cellar actually has some pretty good food. Oh yeah, the food's good, and yeah. so the but the thing is, it's like the Booker is Esty, so yes. and the table is the table. So you know, for those of you that don't know, that table is sitting in the back, and you right. do not go to that. You don't look at that table if you do not work at the cellar. So. No matter if I knew the comics and stuff there, Essie didn't know who I was and, you know, known the owner didn't know who I was. So it was like, you know, I would say hi to some of the comics and they'd come in, you know, walk past me or whatever. I would I got to a point where I was able to sneak downstairs and watch, you know, and I saw the some of the craziest nights of comedy. I was there the night that Chappelle and um, Kevin Hart uh, Questlove, oh Bill Bellamy. It was like oh all this cr- Marlon Wayans, all these crazy people were on stage. At once Chris Rock was on the stage. Oh my God. I was there that night. I've, I've been there. And so basically, you know, you, you're working. I'm, so I'm working and I'm hosting for Hannibal when he when he goes out of town. Right. And then what Esty will do is she'll ask her favorite people for recommendations like once a year. Interesting. Because I have to tell you this, Joyelle. And I don't know, I am, I'm trying to like self-diagnose, like, who am I? But I hate hanging out with stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. I hate hanging out at comedy clubs. It makes me nervous. I oh, hate yeah. the table. I never was, I oh, was yeah. always, I'd never, I've never felt like I was one of the cool guys. And then all of a sudden, like in the comedy world, like one of the cool guys is like Dave Attell, which in another world is like, 
homeless man. But in the comedy <laughs> world, they're like, that's a cool guy. The yeah. table itself, you know, with people pontificated, I was way too scared. Not a, like I just couldn't do it. I hated networking so much with those guys. But I think that skill set is so powerful and so important. And it just shows how much drive you had to say, I'm doing this. I'm making it happen. And uh, if I have to do and hang out with these people, I'm going to do it. But it seems like you kind of enjoyed that stand-up culture a little bit more than I did. Well, I don't get it twisted. I was definitely terrified. Like yeah. every time I walked into the cellar, I was like, I don't deserve to be here. I mean, right. every time, e- even when I got passed, I got passed in 2016 and I oh would sit God. at the table I- and I would still be nervous. Right. I'd still be nervous. Um, it was like one of the best moments was after my audition, I come upstairs. Dude, and first SD- of all, before that, hold on a second. You got the audition. Yeah. Yes. What, was that like five minutes at midnight? Five minutes at on the eight o'clock show on okay. a Saturday night, I think it was. What was that going in? Because did you, do, you have to, what people don't fully understand is you see a stand-up comedian and they're like, I could do that. And it's like, you probably could do stand-up one night without a doubt. Anyone can be funny for five minutes one time without a doubt. Right. But it's about different circumstances that you're thrown in and you have to have confidence that you were like, no, I can do this. I can hand, I can do this on a on a uh, on a cruise ship. I can do this uh, on on top of a roof as people have been yep. doing during Done COVID. That. <laughs> Done or both I can, of those things. Exactly. Or I can do this for 5 minutes that are going to potentially change my life forever. How, like even when it comes to like Montreal auditions, like it's scary shit. And for oh you to gosh. just be like, and now it's totally normal. That is a tough process. <laughs> oh, it was so tough. It, it was so tough. Like I was saying, um, what, so what Esty would do is she'll ask her favorite people yeah. for recommendations. So Hannibal had recommended Michelle Wolf. And oh, nice. She, she specifically was like, I want you to give me another um, funny female. And so she reached out to me. And this is how it happens. She goes, she reaches out and she's just like, Friday at eight. Like doesn't ask if oh you're available. Oh my God. Tells you <laughs> Friday at eight is your audition. If you want to be there, be there. If not, you know, whatever. I actually had a bowel movement scheduled and I was going to perform (laughs) at this hostel where nobody speaks English up on 150th Street. So I'm going to have to cancel Etsy. Uh, Etsy. Oh my goodness. This is probably why I never got booked at the cellar. (laughs) But I'm going to have to cancel because I got like, of course I'll be there Friday at eight. Oh, I will be there Friday at eight. And and I think I found out maybe on a Wednesday, you know, it was like, okay, two days to fucking panic. Yeah. And, you know, at this point it's 2016. So I've been doing comedy nine years <sighs> and it feels like, you know, you've done five minutes a thousand times. Absolutely. It's almost an offensively low number. It's almost oh more <laughs> difficult than doing 30 minutes because you're like five yeah. minutes. Ugh, I can't even really explore myself yeah. here. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You get to this point of the mo- one of the most important auditions of your career, and you're like, comedy? What is comedy? What, do- <laughs> what is stand-up? What are jokes? Like, do I know how to do comedy? What am I about to do? And so you go perform, 
I had to follow Louis. Oh my goodness! I this had is to follow, peak. This uh, is peak Louis. By the way, this is like Louis C.K. Yes. For so, for those that don't remember, when Louis was top of the world, he had he had three shows on TV, I believe. Oh yeah, and he was straight up a comedy goat. Oh yeah, and 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 had dropped in, so it was a drop in, and so basically oh. she was like, um, you. You know, she was like, you're next. But then she was like, oh, Louis dropped in, so you'll just have to go after him. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Also, oh, Miss Johnson, welcome to the freaking big leagues. Like, that's insane. Hello? Yes. Hello? So um, I I don't know how I mustered it. It was just kind of one of those things where you take a deep breath, inhale, and you're kind of out of your body. And I walked onto that stage that, you know, every comedian wants to be on and Essie. So the funny thing is she stands underneath this light. Like there's a light there (laughs) in the back of the room and she stands under it. Like fucking Michael Myers stalking the stage. (laughs) (laughs) And and when, when she laughed at my first joke, it was like she, and she laughed. Like it wasn't just a smile. Like I heard her laugh and I was like, like that, that got me. You know, that, oh my that just, just just took me through it. And I I mean, I don't usually say I crushed, but I crushed that first set. I'm sure I you crushed did. My, my five minutes. And when I walked upstairs afterwards, uh, she sits down at the table and she goes, have a seat. Oh. And that was just like, oh, wow, have a seat. And back to your point of being nervous, I was still nervous walking in there for the next two, three years. Like it wasn't until... 20 like the end of 2019 that I was like oh I belong here I'm a comedian I work here you that's know that's funny um, and of course when you get offered to like sit down you know in the stand up world people talk about like the tonight show and you know when you get asked to sit by Johnny Carson back when yeah. that was again paramount where it was like this is the this will make or break it's changed uh, but back in the day so the fact that she was like sit down my god what a what like a moment of i mean hey you just did 5 minutes of work and now you're going to be able to work hopefully your whole life at the comedy cellar and and work where the thing is you know I was able to pay my bills off my sets that's during awesome. the week I was able to pay my rent off of working at the cellar how many years you know? before you could uh, quit a day job before um, how many years did it take you 2016 I got a job working with um, lady parts justice that is now yes. the abortion access front and I got that job through being a stand-up so that to me is what I count like I was doing production work yeah. but I count that as the last time of doing a job that has nothing to do with uh, comedy so That's from 2016 awesome. on I haven't had a day job yeah for me it was uh 2016 27 2017 as well um what a uh, unbelievable thing to be able to do. Just, yeah. I still feel, you know, hashtag blessed, hashtag thank you, um, and hashtag thankful, because it is so incredible that we can do this. And what people need to understand is the years that it takes before you can make a living off of the art, but then also, then work really starts, because yeah. this is do or die. You bet on yourself. There is no going back now. I mean, <laughs> that, that high wire act, I mean, that's an intense feeling too. Like we are, you are reliant on you. You are an industry, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's such a cool, but that is such a cool thing that we can have now. And this is where I am very thankful for the internet. We can harp on social media all day, but at the end of the day, the internet has given a, a lot of 
uh, entertainers agency over their mm-hmm. own careers. And I feel like that is what's so freaking awesome right now. Yeah, totally. And I so it's like I got that in 2016. I didn't get a manager until 2018. And so that's when Oh, you didn't really get somebody to take up. all your money until 2018? <laughs> exactly. I didn't that didn't yeah. happen until then. Um so yeah, just like you know being proud of yourself. Are you proud of yourself, Ben? You should be proud of yourself cuz you I mean I'm proud. I'm proud of you. You know what? And I will I'm- say this. I am more proud of my friends because we just had, uh, I just saw coming uh, to America too with Jermaine. Jermaine. I see my friends, Judas and the Black Messiah. I see my friends doing so good. And that makes it's me amazing. so much more proud. I don't give a flying fuck about myself. I. That's why I don't like to, I, in a perfect world, no one would ever even see me. I would just like... You know, Rush Limbaugh was a total scumbag, piece of shit. But the one thing he did have was an elevator in his house that would go down to a basement where he recorded his show, and then he took an elevator back up and sat his fat ass on a couch. And that's all I want to do. Elevator, talk for three hours, sit my fat ass on a couch. Back up. Yes, yes. That I mean, yeah, that's what how Joyelle, how incredible is it that we know such phenomenal talent. I mean, how proud are you? Like seeing, especially um, when it comes to the black comedians that we all grew up with in uh, in New York. Holy shit. Talk about a successful, wonderful group of people and giving. Hannibal, you know, when it comes to the Knitting Factory, when I got booked on Knitting Factory, it's similar to your story about Comedy Cellar. That's how important that show was. Oh, yeah. And it really made you feel like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm on this little little. Three by three stage. All these stages are the size of a fucking postage stamp. These things are not big shows uh, in a a tangible sense, but psychologically they're huge. And the community was just so giving matchless. You know, the fact that Che would go on stage with all of us and we would just play and have fun. I mean, I'm so proud of all of the success that people are doing and legit mainstream express uh, success. The Lucas brothers are going to win a fucking Oscar. An Oscar? These little Negroes from Newark, New Jersey. My family is from Newark, New Jersey. And that to me, like, I'm so fucking proud. So proud. One of my favorite nights at Knitting Factory. I got off that stage and I had, had, I, that was like one of the greatest nights. Just everyone was like, oh shit. I get off stage. I walk into the dark. Cause you remember how dark it was in that corner? Yes. And, um, like an old dude, an older guy looking like, why are you at this young ass show? He was just like, wow, that was really funny. And, you know, short little old guy. And I was yeah. like, thank you. And then I noticed everyone around him was looked like their faces were like, like freaking the fuck out. And I was like, what is wrong with everybody? And then yeah. I looked at the dude and it was Robin Williams. Oh and he my went God. out after me. <laughs> and he just fucking, I mean, I got to sit in the, I sat my ass on the floor, cross legged like a kid and watched him for a good hour. And that, that was a knitting factory story. That was a Sunday night at the knitting factory and that I got to see him. And he was oh. like, he loved me. He gave, he was like, you are so funny. Gave me this big old hug. He stayed after hung out with the comics. It was really? I did not know. I lived two blocks away. No one could alert me that Robin Williams was in town. I mean, he was on stage for a good 45 minutes. Like well, they, they, your friends were, um, they were rude that night. Cause you could have walked right over. I may have been blackout drunk at skinny Dennis, my favorite <laughs> country bar. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't have been good. I've been like, I love you and Patch Adams. And then I would have walked out. I don't know. Yes. But that is yes. so like, that's just one more of those 
um, invisible steps, you know, when it comes to like, how did you make it? Like overnight sensation. When they said Bernie Mac was an overnight sensation when he got the show, it's like 20 years busting his ass, headlining, headlining. It's one of it, that's just one more invisible step that people don't see. But when Robin mm-hmm. Williams says that you're funny, oh my God, like that's I don't, fucking awesome. I don't care what the rest of y'all think. I don't care what anyone thinks. Do you know that Robin Williams has told me I was funny? Like, I don't, no one else matters in that situation. And you know, like, it's what? those, it's those little things that happen throughout the process that keep you going. Oh, yeah. That's exactly it. Because it's like, if, you know, I think Al Jackson once told me, because I was like, have you ever felt like you want to quit? And he's like, you're not doing this right if you don't feel like you want to quit. Right. (laughs) He's like, this is something you should want to quit. This is not a natural pursuit. You know, the pursuit of art and the pursuit of stand-up, especially, especially for a black female. This is not any nature in this situation. So Yeah, it's definitely always easier to not do stand-up. Yeah. I mean, hello. I, I went to Boston <laughs> College. I could have got, you know, some regular, regular, regular job. Not, you know, shout out to all the regular, regular jobs. I'm happy. For Absolutely. You I, I, I can't. I, I, I would get fired. That's why I'm insubordinate. So Ex- Exactly. That's the thing. That's why I have an immense amount of respect for everyone who does oh, yeah. any job, because oh uh, the only reason that Joyelle and I and 99.999% of comedians don't have your job is because we can't do it. We can't. I we will can't get fired. Immediately get fired. Immediate. I couldn't even be someone who checks out groceries because I would just be like, oh, looks like you have an STD, huh? All right. Oh, you have some stomach problems. So you guys are like, can you not talk about every single Sorry. thing I'm purchasing, please? Yes, we would be comedians in that job. Would and that's horrible. what you don't want. You don't want comedians doing jobs. I'm roasting people. This is inappropriate, you know. Absolutely. We're inappropriate. And for those that don't know, L. Jackson, fantastic stand-up comedian. Support L. Jackson. Uh, he is he is one of those guys for Ever, ever since I've known him, he's been a working comedian. He's a road dog. My mm-hmm. God, that guy oh, yeah. hustled his ass off and deserves whatever he gets. And hopefully more comes to him in the future. But I know if you work hard, it will come to you once it again. It will come. Don't quit. Don't quit. I mean, that one of my uh, markers is just like Leslie Jones. She wasn't she didn't get uh, SNL until her late 40s. And it wasn't until she was 50, you know, when Ghostbusters, say what you will about the female Ghostbusters, I thought it was hilarious, but... Uh, you know, she's did you 50 like, years old. Did you like the mark? I actually didn't, full disclosure, I did not see the female Ghostbusters, but to be fair, I think I've only seen the male Ghostbusters once. Uh, my <laughs> mom, for some reason, I had a babysitter when I was like six years old. She showed me, no, when I was like four, she showed me Ghostbusters and my mom freaked out. Like my, my parents were very religious. So <laughs> oh, I just remember yeah. my mom just be like, that's demonic. You got to get it. So I've always had a very strange relationship with Ghostbusters. But did you, what did you think of the marketing of the Lady Ghostbusters? Also, why are we calling it Lady Ghostbusters? I just, the whole right. thing was so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, t- it totally I feel like was. they did, it kind of did them a massive disservice, to be honest with they you. They kind of threw them under the bus, I thought, because it's like, if you're going to do something, do it. Don't yeah. have to do it, you know? And it, it just kind of felt like, you know, the public backlash that they got, they, it made them be a little more timid with their marketing. And going in it, I was like, ugh, this is going to be terrible. Like, right. I assumed it was going to be terrible, but I supported it in the theaters because I was like, we have to support these movies. And I was watching, I was like, oh, this is funny. Like, it, it's funny. Right. It, it just had too much hype. It just that's all. It just had too much hype and negativity from all the internet incel trolls. Um, <laughs> exactly, and it's that's sad. what it was. And, it, and it's just unfortunate the way that uh, oftentimes I think marketers listen way too much 
uh, to mm-hmm. Snipes online. This is I was speaking with someone who was a quite a successful performer, but he's a little bit older. And uh, you know, it's difficult. I think what are what are your strategies for dealing with this new world? I I think of it like this. When it, when I think of Twitter, I think of it as a comment section for life. And I think mm-hmm. of my life as that little video on top. So when it comes to people engaging on Twitter, I said, just get out of the comment section, live your life right. because nothing good is going to come from this. I promise you, everyone just wants to snipe and take you down and, or be night, whatever it is. But th- the fact of the matter is it ain't going to help you. You're going to be looking like it's going to look like you're arguing with people. And then people are going to say, well, you have the power. It's like on Twitter, no one has any more power than anybody else. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. that's how yeah, I view it as like plane, just the comment section of life. And do you read the comments on YouTube? No. So why would you read them on Twitter? But how do you cope with sort of maintaining your artistic uh, integrity and not just going with some random flow because it changes every freaking week. And if you go with the flow, you're going to end up gone because no one really knows what they want. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. you need to be the stalwart. You need to be the the you need to be like the person in charge. How do you deal with that kind of new media and creating content? I know it's been a while since we've had to go on stage and actually got to create content live, which is where I like to do it. But how do you deal with all that shit? Because I'm on Wellbutrin and Alexa Pro. Oh, I was about to say therapy. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I moved in with my boyfriend. We have three therapists between the two of us. And Whoa. that is the best. Couples therapist. Oh, my God. It's a lifesaver. Oh. But also, I mean, creating content terrifies me. It terrifies right. me to put something out and and nobody watch it. Or, no, you know, I'm always thinking I'm the little girl who's going to throw a party and nobody's going to show up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I still feel that way. And I'm going to be 40 this year, you know? So I, I think I'm going to be 40 as well. And I'm just going to say this, this is called the tale of people who have aged differently Um, because you look younger than the first time I saw you (laughs) and somehow I've turned into a sailor. So I love it. I love it. Um, but When's yeah, your no, birthday? I, I'm July 21st. When are you? September 12th. All right. Well, yes. you just just happy September 12th day, the day yes. after the in, day after National Morning. <laughs> I know everybody's like, "How was your birthday that year?" And I'm like, ironically, it was one of the best birthday parties because <laughs> everyone was overcompensating. I was in college at the time, yeah, and same. everyone was like so sad. So they were like, "Let's have a party." And I was like, "Okay." Oh and my it was God. my birthday, so. That yeah, is um, the truth. After yeah. so, I watched the nine eleven. I watched the planes hit in my dorm room. I was a freshman in college, and literally all of us. So school was canceled for the day, which was mostly canceled for, for me sure. every day because I just went to hang out with my drug dealer friend named Stash. Um, That's a great drug dealer. Friend's it was name. a great drug dealer name. And every single semester, I had like I would start with eighteen credits and be like, I'm going to do eighteen credits and. By the end of it, it would be nine, you know, just mm-hmm. so I get some basic credits in there. You know, that's about it because I had too much fun. But literally, we watched the plane, the second plane hit. And then it was just like, we got to go to the liquor store, guys. We're going to have to get hammered if we're going to watch yeah. this all day. And we just, yeah. I don't know if it was fun or what it was, but it was communal. That's for damn it sure. Was a, it was communal. It was communal. It was definitely communal. Um, Where were you? Where we were you, you? Were you in LA for 9-11 or were you in New York or? Boston. Boston were, College. Oh, so you were actually quite nearby on the East Coast. Yeah. Where one of the planes left from Logan Airport. I think oh, it was my the one. God. It was the one that crashed into the Pentagon. Um, yeah. 
Wow. That was a lot. That was a lot. Um, That was a day. I'm going to say. That was a day. That (laughs) That was a day. (laughs) And and since, I mean, it's like all the crazy stuff that's happened since. It's like, wow, that was just a blip. That was just the beginning of a a new world in many ways. A crazy world. Yeah. Um, what did you What did you study at Boston College? Communications. Oh well, that seemed to work out well. It did. I'm one of the people who uses her major every day. <laughs> I use my major every day, and one of my best classes was public speaking. And I I got up there because I think the first speech was supposed to be like a a comedic, you know, because each one's like argumentative and like all those different things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, persuasive. It was a persuasive speech, and I made it. I made Joe and the class was cracking up laughing. And my teacher was like, you are funny. Oh, that's And I awesome. didn't even know. I didn't, I didn't even know I was funny. I was just, you know, I just wrote the speech. So you wouldn't say, know. were you the funny person in high school or was this? Because it's so funny. Sometimes stand-up comedians, it's a massive difference. And I don't just want to pigeonhole you as a stand-up comedian. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. But you're an actress. <laughs> you're a performer. You, you, do, you do so many different things. You wear many different hats. But oftentimes the funniest person is the person that no one ever hear talk. And then all of a sudden they speak and you're like, oh, wow, that person has been very creative. Um, saying funny things in their head this whole time. I had no idea. Or were, when you uh, when you started kind of being more performative, was everyone like, oh, yeah, that's classic Joyelle. See, I've had a couple of people tell me from high school that they were like, oh, that makes sense as you're a comedian. And I'm like, Really? I was a terrible mess in high school. I was so nervous. I would be crying in school. Aww. I was so depressed. Of I was course. bullied. All these things. And But what I did do, you know, I'm observing. I'm sitting in the back. I'm quiet. I'm this. But when I would get my one line out to whoever was next to me, they're cracking up just because I'm like, really? You know, I, I'll say whatever the one thing that I've yeah. been brooding on <laughs> the whole yeah. damn day and it just happened to be hilarious. So, um, yeah, I don't. I didn't think I gave that personality off. I right. I just thought I was just like a bullied little, you know, nervous nerd. I was in marching band. I was, you know, I didn't. I was a nerd in marching band. I was the nerd in the marching band. I was bullied in marching band. How you gonna oh get bullied God. by the other marching band nerds? <laughs> I don't know. That actually seems like it may have been your fault. You know what? I, <laughs> there are no victims in life. <laughs> So that is, you know, it is funny because I was voted class clown, rowdiest and loudest. So I think everyone kind of yeah. was like, I think he's going to go do something loud with his mouth, um, yeah. which is kind of what I guess we've all done with our lives. But Boston College, I have to ask this question because mm-hmm. I know you went to school with somebody and I'm a huge wrestling fan. Oh, yes. I'm a massive wrestling nerd and I have a lot yeah. of listeners who are massive wrestling nerds. <laughs> and there is a wrestler that is so loved. It's a new day. Yes, it is. <laughs> Kofi Kingston, you went to college with Kofi, dude. Is it literally? Uh, do are you like the gemstone that did I, that I touched, and then I get to be successful too? Is it just like the Joel Johnson aura? Is everyone in your circle, anyone in your periphery, just gonna go off and become successful? I mean, first of all, I went to college with Kofi Sarkodie Mensa. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Can I just call him Kofi Kingston? <laughs> that is who I went to college with. Um, yeah, it's so funny because... I'm so happy he kept his first name and changed his last as opposed to keeping his last name and changing his first. Because what is was that what, The people that do either or? No, no, but he oh, just they, he decided to stick with Kofi as a first name, which is... Uh, it's, it's not uncommon, but it's not super common either. Sometimes they change their name completely. The whole, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I'm sure the Undertaker is not... Mark, under. Mark Calloway. Mr. Under. Mr. Uh, under. Yeah. That's that's what I that's back when I used to watch WWF was, you know, hey, don't even it took me forever to say WWE. Oh yeah. And that was like brain up, fart. I'm still upset about it. I love the World Wildlife Federation. I love animals. But god <laughs> damn it. Nobody <laughs> gives a fuck. I love you. Is that what it was? It was the WWF, the Wildlife Federation that sued because it was the WWF initials. And I love animals, but can you just leave the WWF alone in this one area? Just can you not change the name? No one was making that connection. No No one one made that connection. No. Are you sure this isn't the wildlife? That was not happening. Exactly. It's um, like, is that is that the nonprofit? Why do they have a dead man tombstoning a person who looks as if he is a janitor? No, that's uh, not the same thing. Anyway. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now I have to nerd out because now I have to talk to you about Kofi. Yes. So we were the black kids at Boston College. Uh, Boston College, if you have never been to Boston, not a very black town unless you're in, you know, Roxbury or Dorchester. And... <laughs> Um, I think our pop, our black population of a school of 9,000 was about 3%. Oh, so my goodness. Okay. all the black kids knew each other. And Kofi and I were in this, on the step team. So the female step team was called FIST, Females Incorporating Sisterhood <laughs> Through Step. Oh and the male step God. team. Someone was- who, whoever came up with that acronym needs to go work in Washington right now because I need these bills to have better acronyms. You got a retroactive. HB212. Like exactly. nobody. No one gives a shit. HR1 that would restore voting rights. Give me an acronym so people give can me- get on board. An acronym like FIST. FIST, yeah. And so the male step, step group was called Sexual Chocolate. Oh. <laughs> yes, it was. And they would take their shirts off. Oh, um, my. For Black Family Weekend. So we, uh, the big weekend <laughs> at school was Black Family Weekend. And we would perform every year at Black Family Weekend. And each year, I mean, because we started our our year was the first year to start these groups. Okay. And every year it got way, like, we'd be like, whoa, y'all are humping the floor. What's happening? <laughs> Kofi, <laughs> Kofi done took his shirt off and he... <laughs> <laughs> they just like sexual chocolate. What they going to do? Oh, my. Um, yeah. That, I mean, I got pictures of that. I got pictures of that from 99 to 2003. That's that's what we was we was doing. And yeah, our graduation day. What, what happened on graduation day? No, just like we, you know, we all got together, like all the black kids that yeah. made it through BC and made it through Boston being black. I mean, Boston is notoriously, you know, a it's pretty Boston. racist city. And uh, it was so racist that 
um, our school, you're supposed to be off campus for junior year, but BC yeah. would give four years housing to the black students because really? of, uh, Boston wouldn't rent uh, apartments to black people. Wow. Like, could you imagine being being like, I'm a college student. I go to Boston College. Right. Also, ironically enough, these black Boston College students are going to take care of your apartment way more than these fucking frat boys. Okay. Right. <laughs> these right. frat boys are going to destroy your shit. And we weren't allowed to have frats either. But um, yeah, it was, a cra- it was a crazy time. And that was when, um, you know, Facebook got started at Harvard. We were one of the first schools to get... Um, oh, you had blue. like, what was it called? Face smash or something or, or boob like? What the hell was the name yeah. of it? Wasn't it just for, anyway, all these freaking nerds just trying to meet women and they did it all yeah. wrong. And now we have to live with the consequences because these <laughs> yes, these, these guys were to too live. pussy to go to a bar. And so they're Basically. like, I wonder if we can like find a way to technologically meet the ladies. It's like, I know a way. Go outside, you asshole. Yeah. And yeah, Mark Zuckerberg released a generation of incels on us all. So I know. Yeah, and it started up there. I mean, a lot, so much happened. UMass Amherst was the first school to um, allow, I think, gay gay students or or to not expel students because they were gay. Oh my there was god, a lot this is going such. Up. Oh, yeah. cardinal law. Do you know cardinal law? No, cardinal law sounds like it's some kind of crazy BDSM fetish. Cardinal law was a cardinal from, you know, the Vatican, Roman Catholic oh, Church. Oh, I don't trust him. Who, nor should you, he used to give the commencement speech every year at Boston College until the year we graduated, he was in, under indictment. And that's the For movie Spotlight. For being a Spotlight. pedophile? Yes. That's the oh movie Spotlight. My. Is about this. Is Get about that. Get the fuck out of here. And that was the year we oh, graduated. And you had to- so. and they, and they had to, and they listened to him. They let him speak to the next generation of children every single year. Our year, they at the last minute, because I think if we graduated in May, he got indicted in like March or April, like right before. He might even have gotten indicted like May 1st. So they at the last minute replaced him with a blind dude that climbed Mount Everest. <laughs> At the last minute, like they, they just called this dude who just publicly speaks and they were like, uh, could you come speak to the class of 2003? Well, you know, it's not easy to climb Mount Everest, even if you have ice. And have so ice. for him to do it without ice, that must have been very inspirational. Oh, yes. Um, if I if I wasn't so hungover, I would exactly. be inspired. I know that. Why? Oh, my goodness. The hangover. I think I'm still suffering from my hangover. After drinking the night before graduation, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I think I feel like that cardinal should have been forced to speak, and then everyone right. would be given a tomato, and then yeah, just scream at him, just be like, "Pedo!" Heckle. He needs yeah. to be heckled. God damn, that is yeah, that is so interesting about that shit, mm-hmm. dude. Wow, yeah, you were really in Boston. Oh, we was we was in it. Yeah, it was like nine eleven. So much happened um, that year, those years while we were in school. All right, and I'm assuming Kofi was nice because I still have to ask that question. Oh, he's a sweetheart. He's Kofi's a complete sweetheart. Yeah, I was supposed to be at his wedding, but I I forget what was happening that week, and I think some some stand up thing. I'm that I wasn't able to make it. That's but yeah, the he, thing. and he met his wife in college. Like they've been together forever. And oh. They're like the cutest couple. He's such a sweetheart. He's a very nice person. He's a very handsome man, and he is incredible. He's an incredible wrestler. Anyway, back to Joel. <laughs> That's yeah. nice. All right. So you graduated college, you're off, and then you did LA and then went to New York. Why not just yes. go right up to New York? Why'd you go all the way across country? 
My sister applied to film school. She applied to NYU and USC. Okay. And I told her, I was like, if you get into USC, I'll move out to LA too, you know? Hell yeah. And she got into USC and moved. I mean, and that, the writer's program at USC for film school, 31 accepted. 31. She was the only black female. Mm -hmm. 31 people got accepted into her program that year. The whole program is only 31 people? Of the writers, yeah, the writing of the film school. Oh my each, god! Each section that is directing tough. a tiny, oh tiny, 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 tiny. Yeah, USC and NYU are like the most renowned film schools. And, wow! And then you, so when you got out to LA, that's when you started doing stand up, or because now you got your degree. When did you start doing stand up in LA and then go to New York? I at first I was just you know pursuing acting, and for me it was like right. you know doing background extra work, yeah. um, you know, auditioning, but, you know, going into those casting calls where you're like, is Ugh. this a casting office? Am I about to be Scientology? Like, what's Why is there a black happen? couch in here? No, I'm <laughs> yes. not going to bend over. What is happening? What ta- why are there stains on that couch? Um, so, yeah, that was the first couple of years. So I didn't start stand-up until 2007. Interesting. There is no better way to find out than... There's no better way to find out that you're an other, air quotes other, than when you get an acting breakdown. I am six foot seven. <laughs> I uh, wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be Chris Farley my whole life. He's five foot six. I did not realize until it was far too late that I am not an actor because I can't fit in the screen. I am too big to be Sasquatch. I was told that I couldn't fit in the suit, so I lost a commercial because of that. When it comes to acting, they have parameters that are almost fucking impossible f- to fill. How was that experience just getting the acting breakdown? I'm assuming, I don't want to speak out of turn here. I'm assuming we got sassy black woman. I'm assuming we got oh, sassy sure. black friend. I'm assuming oh, everything sure. involved the word sass, maybe somebody who was a little bit uppity or someone who was like a really strong female lead. With a little bit don't of forget, sass. Don't forget the crackheads. Don't, don't forget, forget the crackheads. <laughs> I mean, the, what? So as soon as you started doing that breakdown, you're like, oh, oh my God, I fucking hate acting. <laughs> oh yeah. And also I'm tall, especially yes. for Hollywood. So it's like all of the, I'm taller than all of the men. They are you know? actors. I have never been <laughs> lied. This is my beginning of distrust in everything was when I found out Patrick Swayze <laughs> is 5'7". The man from Roadhouse is five foot seven. I said, what else have I been lied to about? I damn near became a flat earther. Oh, oh that's a joke. Yeah, that's um, a joke. I know it's Tom a gl- Cruise. Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise is a baby. And you know who you know who noticed that the hard way? Katie Holmes. Poor Katie Holmes. She loved Tom Cruise growing up. She didn't realize he's like Peter Pan. He never grows up. He's always going to be five four. Oh, yeah. He had tiny, tiny man. Um, yeah. I, and that was one thing I noticed walking into Hollywood parties. And you know this. It's like oh being God. the tallest person in the room by far. Like I'm looking over everybody's head and I'm only five, ten and a quarter. Exactly. You know. So, um, yeah, I got all those br- breakdowns of sassy black crackhead. Uh, sassy. <laughs> sassy. Sassy, sassy something. And then, and then it was like Monique. And then it was like, or are you Monique? And then maybe you can have a role with some range. Yeah. But like, uh, but also they wanted you to be a, a larger girl. They wanted, right. you know, fat black women. And I'm also, I'm neither super skinny nor am I, you know, super big. So you're perfect. You know, this this medium body is like, we Healthy. either want a model, 
we either want a model crack cokehead or we want somebody who's, you know, overweight and obese. Yeah. And God, you can't actually be sassy unless you're overweight to Hollywood. God like, forbid somebody just try to live healthy and have a normal looking body and just feel good. Yeah. That is the ultimate like irony of all of this bullshit. Because you watch these, especially like the acting Hollywood elite scumbag class, the way that they talk about race, the way that they approach these things in their fucking award show style, the almost fetishization of black death in a sense also. Oh, yeah. Like mm -hmm. it is nastiness. But then again, as we talked about earlier, I'm so proud of, of our friends who are able to like exceed and, and excel. But it is a tough, you know, talking about invisible walls of getting on the stage at the cellar. There are so many invisible walls oh, in yeah. entertainment and it makes it really tough where this is what fucks with people's brains. This is why people in the entertainment industry go crazy. Absolutely crazy. And have seen it firsthand, like seen, you know, people, you know, we've seen people's rise to fame. Yeah. We've literally seen people's rise to fame. And I've also seen people's descent into madness yeah and i get it you know i totally get it and i've luckily like i'm so happy that i've been able to you know be friends with a hannibal or a tiffany yeah. haddish and yeah. to see it happen to them right before it happens to me because i'm like oh okay that's i'm gonna need to know how to navigate something like that yep. i'm gonna need to know how to you know navigate you know when with the whole cosby thing with hannibal yeah. Like him getting death threats and all that oh type my of God. stuff. And it's like unexpected off of a bit, off of a bit that started at the knitting factory. Let me just say this on that, because I know Hannibal does not like to talk about that. And I don't want to even speak no. on it. I don't want to. But I believe the media did him a massive disservice. Hannibal sure. did not bust Bill Cosby. No. Hannibal <laughs> told a fucking joke. And all, of a sudden, joke. and all of a sudden the media says, well, I think that we can go with this angle because he's a black man. So then we're not going to be called racist if we go after whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Nobody fully understands the amount of aggression towards Hannibal. And it was misplaced. He didn't do mm -hmm. anything wrong. And I think the That's media wrong. really fucked, fucked him over. And uh, I think that that was just a massive disservice. And Hannibal Nothing did wrong. not deserve, he did not deserve to get any of that, uh, of those attacks. But that shit was very real. And nobody talked about that. And that's why I don't want to, but whatever. Yeah. Hannibal's a good man who didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, anything done in the darkness is going to come to the light. And that's all that that's happened to that point. story. That's the point. Whatever you're doing in the dark is going to come out in the light. And also, you know what? Uh, we have to mention Bill Cosby. He was a straight up. Obviously, we have all the, uh, you know, he's been convicted of rape, but the hypocrisy as well, because the whole premise of the Hannibal bit was Bill Cosby was going out there wearing his little sweatshirts. I'm grandpa. I'm just a nice grandpa guy. Pull up your pants. Do all these things. And he was um, I think that he was just inflaming a lot of people and, and supporting a lot of what I think is racist rhetoric. And I, mm -hmm. so I think that was also one of the reasons that it was the duality of like, I'm America's dad. And then every single person that worked with him was like, he's a fucking scumbag. Fucking monster. The yeah. People and didn't I, even it, let him alone with their wives. I said, if you can't let a man alone with your wife, that man should not go fuck yourself. Be a fucking person. And I, it was funny cause I never trusted Bill Cosby because I had a um, deadbeat dad that was a doctor. So my dad, my dad was the Cosby show character. Interesting. So he had the family, the house, everything. And I was his side child, oh. you know, his secret child. So me looking at Bill Cosby as a kid, 
I remember hearing his um, hearing Eddie Murphy's bit about how, you know, he was cursing and Bill Cosby called him and said, you shouldn't be cursing like that. And I'm a kid. And I remember thinking, like, if you don't want to curse, you don't curse. But who are you to tell someone not to curse? That exactly. didn't sit right with me as a kid. I was like, who's so holier than that? Exactly. You know, and that's why Carlin is my favorite because, you know, he was like, I do drugs. I curse. I, you know, this don't trust politicians. Don't trust clergymen. I was like, that makes sense to me versus somebody acting like they don't curse. You never curse. You never curse. Get the fuck out of here. So how about don't rape? Yeah. How about that? (laughs) How about I curse? You don't rape, sir. You motherfucker. I never trusted him. And so when the shit came out, I was like, oh, well, I was a little girl like "Mm -mm, something's up with that. And of course, you know, with when it comes to the Cosby stuff, again, just that scandal, everyone knew about it in the 90s. And it pisses me off that those adults didn't take care of their business. And now we've had to deal with all of their bullshit. Oh, yeah. That's all I'll say. But Carlin, I do wish that George Carlin was still alive just so we would have one person who supported COVID. Because you know Carlin would be like, I support COVID, genocide the whole world, I am team COVID. He would be like, thin the herd. He would be like, this is a pro-COVID stance. I love COVID. I love what you've done, COVID. Because you watch watch Carlin. I'm like, that man is more bitter than the fucking worst beer on earth. That dude is so mad. But he was fucking gold but anyway he taught me all about politics and religion i was like i stopped going to sunday school because i was watching you know you know there's no god when we still have bill maher and not george carlin that part (laughs) (laughs) not to shit on whatever but anyway joyelle so you have what what do you have coming up let's talk um you have that we have the special coming out Hell yes. jo- uh what was oh my goodness, Yell Joy. Yell Joy. There it is. Not Hell Joy. My God, yes. my brain is in the Yell gutter. Hell Joy, my first album is coming out Juneteenth. For all the, the people listening that don't know what that is, that is June 19th. It is um pretty much the day that they let a whole bunch of slaves know that slavery was indeed over, even though it had already been over for about two years. <laughs> so I am a descendant of slaves in America. And that's just like a special day for me. So when they were like, think of a date that's important in June. And I was like, oh, June 10th, let's do it. So June 19th, the album's coming out. I love it. That's fantastic. And when it comes to uh, your the content and when it comes to like how you're creating your content now, have you been looking towards like some what I love I believe that criminal justice reform is the single most important civil rights issue of our time. I believe mm-hmm. that slavery is not gone. Uh, the, the poor of this country have been forced to work for free and they have yes. found different ways to allow that to happen. Oh, yeah. Call, call and them a take criminal. Take voting rights away. Take mm-hmm. voting rights away, which is why HR1, it should pass. I support the Democrats on that. Um, yes. but when it comes for you creating content, but also sort of, you know, this is a, a fine line to toe, right? Because you don't want to sound, I, there's nothing more annoying to me than a preachy performer who is not funny enough. You got to be funny <laughs> and then you can pepper in your preach because I also love to hear that aspect and I love those components, but you got to be funny. How do you weigh um, social impact? And just like sometimes I sometimes I'll. I'll I have to piss and I'll take a piss on a street in London. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. I will. I have to pee right now. Um, I, I literally, um, well, when I was watching Chris Rock, what I noticed about his specials um, is that he would start with, you know, you know, wife jokes and family jokes and things like that. Yeah. And then in the middle is the politics. And then the end 
is back to the more relatable material. Yeah. And I realized I was like, okay, beating people on the head with politics, unless you're like a Carlin type of person, you know, people don't want to be beating the head with it. So I was like, okay, you don't want to open with it. And sometimes you don't want to close. So put it in the middle. And yeah. I'm a I'm, women's reproductive rights is one of my huge things. Criminal justice reform, obviously, but women's reproductive rights, they're trying to take um, abortion rights away from women, criminalizing abortion and things right. like that. I've had an abortion and I talk about it on stage because um, one of my goals is to normalize the word so that women who have had it, one in four women will have one in her life and everyone knows and loves somebody who's had one. Absolutely. So I want to make sure women are no longer ashamed of that word because there are so many women who are ashamed of having an abortion. And it's like, look, we ain't, there's a reason it was created because sometimes you have a oopsie and then you'd be like, you know what? I don't want to have this right now. And that's okay. And it's about and safety. And it's about it's safety. It's about safety. And that's the point they're trying to take away safe abortions. Because if you... Prohibit abortion. You're not stopping abortion, prohibition, Republicans. Prohibition on any level on does any level? not work. It just does doesn't work. work. People find a way, and yes. uh, oftentimes that way is a lot more dangerous. dangerous yes, such and, as, and they want women in alleys, and that's not yes. happening. You have, you have uh, yeah, back alley abortions on the abortion side, and then on the drug front, now next thing you know, we have 56,000 people a year dying of fentanyl. Uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, people just, uh, if it's, again, underground is never good, never safer. Yes. Keep the things also, above Also, let's board. legalize sex work. I'm, I'm really, like, I want us to legalize sex work. We go to Amsterdam. It's like the, the shooting oh that God. happened in Atlanta. If you could just go to a spot, get your little happy ending off. Exactly. Go to a red light district and have sex with a prostitute and, and get taxes and she's clean and she's government regulated and is is STD Safe. free. That would be so much better, especially for these incels. And it's like talking to a hooker. Oh, my God, you would learn so much. I don't know if anybody's ever talked to a stripper or a hooker. They're very knowledgeable women. The fantastic people. I support them 100 percent and uh, no no shame whatsoever. We are way too sexual, sexually puritanical in this country. Uh, instead of don't shoot guns, shoot loads. Uh, I don't know if that's going to work. Look, but shoot loads with consent. <laughs> And guns. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Please, I have one. Everyone just I got one. Do you, do you want to be shot? You don't want to be shot. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, Joyelle, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great to talk with you. Check Joyelle yes. Johnson out on everything and just support. Joyelle Nicole, Joyelle Nicole across all social media platforms. Absolutely. Joyelle, Joyelle Nicole, which that's a great name too. You have multiple, you have three different great names. If you wanted to go by Joyelle, mm -hmm. did you stick? Because you can just change your last name in the entertainment business. You could go. I know, but I'm doing the Casey James Salango. I'm, I'm going Joyelle Nicole <laughs> Johnson. I'm all, once I saw him, he did his. Um, Comedy Central and had all three names. I was like, you know what? I'm doing the black redneck thing. Let's go. All three uh, names. And Casey James Salengo, another fantastic comedian and one of the sweetest guys uh, that you'll meet. So, Joyelle Johnson, thank you. Joyelle Nicole Johnson, I apologize. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.